Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for digital transformation leaders where we discuss the latest cyber attack issues, enterprise security strategies, and current security events so that you can successfully accelerate network and security transformation. And now here's what's on our mind this week. Welcome back everybody to another episode. I have with me one of my peers here at Zscaler, Ben Carell. He used to be actually the VP of cybersecurity for Coats. Today, the field CISO for America is one of them. Here's Zscaler. Ben, welcome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate being here. I appreciate you being here, man. So can you tell us, when, when people talk about Coats, when you, when you talked about Coats in the past, are you a manufacturing? Like, what, do, what does Coats do? I love it. So uh, I asked that same question about five years ago when they called me. I, I got this call from this company named Coats. And I'm like, Coats? You mean like jackets and stuff? Right. What in the world are they? But Coats is really one of those neat companies that you've likely never heard of, yet it's impactful to your everyday life. So they operate in the background without a lot of hype, a lot of fanfare, but their products are something that are foundational to our everyday lives. So Coats is the world's largest industrial thread manufacturer. And they're about 250 or 260 years old, operating in 40 plus or something like that countries as well. But it's just fascinating working for a company with that type of history. But what they do, as I said a moment ago, is they make industrial thread. It's going to be the threads for, say, apparel or footwear, the, the things that you know, right now I'm wearing a pair of uh, Nike shoes. All of the thread for that shoe is likely to be made by coats. The same thing with, with your shirts. Like uh, one out of every five garments that are produced will be put together with a thread that, that coats manufactures. That is so crazy. It's such a... a a staple of our everyday life. You don't think about where it actually comes from, right? Yes. You just go, you buy your shirt, you buy your t-shirt, you know, your, your Nikes <laughs> and you take it for granted. I just go to the store and I buy it. So thank you coats. A- absolutely. You know, the, the tea that I was drinking, you know, the thread on that little tea bag uh, that uh, you just put in there, you don't think about it how sanitary it is or anything like that. You just assume it's there. You plop it in your boiling water and voila, uh, you know, you can pull that out. But a company had to produce that. Wow. as so interesting. Can you talk a little bit about your role there as VP of cybersecurity? Absolutely. So, well, as you said, you know, the role was to be the head of the cybersecurity program. And I was fortunate enough to be their first dedicated uh, security resource. What I loved about that, not just because of the company that I was explaining, but it really was a greenfield opportunity to come in and build a uh, resilient security program. And as that global head of security, I truly got to own everything from policy creation to selecting the different controls, whether it be a procedural control or a technical control as well as having some governance oversight, you know, GRC, governance, risk, and compliance type functions. So it was a broad role uh, because eventually I ended up also being the data protection officer for a point of time. So a broad role with a unique type of company. So it really drew me to that company and the opportunity about that role. So it was just a fantastic uh, time, opportunity, and just the ability to 
own such a broad range was really enticing. So coming in, you you basically developed the program per se, it sounds like. And in doing so, so when you started developing, did you have, were you focused on zero trust or was this something that you were focused on the role, you know, and the security posture of the company and then kind of fell into a zero trust strategy? No, great, great question. And it really wasn't a, a light bulb moment or an epiphany I had that says, we need to do zero trust. Because uh, I really came in and said, oh, I've got to have some quick wins. I've been at this for the last 20 years. I'm going to build a program based on things that I already know. So I did not go in thinking, yeah, zero trust is the way of the future, like I believe now. But I really didn't have a lot of tools in place. I didn't have structure in place. So it really came down to as I started building that that program, as I started a roadmap, what do we need in place? How are we, we going to do this? And I was really trying to protect the company and wanted a way of working for a global company, yet still reduce my threat landscape. So I had to sit down and consider How do I properly protect an organization with 100 plus locations where somebody anywhere in the world can make a change and that change can be an issue that I then experience that works around my controls? And it really made me wonder versus the traditional controls I'd always worked on, is there a a better way? And I still don't have it at, at the point. I still don't have an answer to that. But it started me on you know two three years into my my journey there to shifting my mindset of are the traditional ways the only ways to protect the organization. And at Coates, we had started our digital transformation back in 2017, which coincidentally is the year that I got hired on there as well. So when we hit, say, 2020 and started the global pandemic, we were already very remote friendly. We didn't have to have all of our administrative people sitting in an office. So a lot of the workloads had already been moved to the cloud, which was fantastic. But since our data wasn't all sitting on laptops, it wasn't all sitting in one location, it wasn't all in one data center, I had to look at ways to protect my data no matter where it was at, no matter who had access to it, no matter what device they were coming to. So again, it ultimately led me towards a journey of zero trust is where we need to go. And the traditional tools that we had in place, they were not going to be sufficient to take us there. Uh, So again, a journey is (laughs) what we started on. So you brought up cloud and, and so many do find themselves right during their digital transformation as they're starting to digitally transform, they're finding they have to change that security posture. Yes. Can you talk a little bit more about being in cyber? Why was that so concerning to you? Why what, why were you so involved and focused on, on that? A lot of CIOs, a lot of uh, infrastructure people are quick to adopt the cloud. And they, they're going to push in order to, to, to go there. But then the CISOs need to be involved as well. The security teams need to be involved, especially as the workloads are moving, as the data is going to move as well. And I was a proponent and partnering with our, our CIO and our head of infrastructure with this because 
we had in every individual factory around the world, we had servers that ran the workloads. Every single one of these servers was unique. It was different. And we had a local person who maintained that that single one. They did all the patching, all the configurations. So I had hundreds of unicorns running around because everything was so so unique. I needed to standardize. So when the the network team came, the infrastructure team, I'm sorry, came to me and said, we're going to be migrating to the to the cloud. Fantastic. Let's go. Can't be soon enough. <laughs> Give me these standards. We're going to have to uh, standard build, standard images. We're going to have standard configurations, all of that. But a lot of people say, well, the cloud is going to be more secure. Okay. You know, there are, there are controls, there are tools, there are ways to, to go about this when it's properly configured. Just because we're moving to the cloud does not automatically mean we will be more secure. You've got to partner. It's going to be a joint responsibility as well. And we've got to make sure that we turn on the controls. I said technical controls early on, but we've got to make sure we turn on the right controls inside that cloud environment, whether it be AWS, Azure, uh, Google, IBM, any of them, there's going to be slight different nuances on how you're going to do that. And understanding that it's not Microsoft's responsibility to protect my organization. They're providing us the environment. It's incumbent upon us, the company, uh, you know, the, the customer here to set those up. So just because we were going to the cloud did not mean we were going to be more secure. We still had the ultimate responsibility to set things up properly. That is why I needed to be so actively engaged. I needed to be working with our, our CIO at the time to say, these are some of the basic functionalities we need. So we choose the right hosting partner as well. I think that is key because so many of us um, in our former lives and or those listening, you know, organizations do have sometimes a hybrid cloud strategy, right? So you may have high, you may have multiple clouds all over the world based on what country you're doing business in. And I think it becomes more and more difficult to go ahead and manage and monitor it from a, I'm going to watch this cloud. I'm going to put an operational procedure in it to watch, to make sure nothing changes, right? To manage those clouds and make sure they are always secure and nothing has changed. I think it's become more and more complicated. In addition, the wonderful providers, right? They have so many controls now. I was talking to somebody the other day and one of the clouds had over 254 controls that you can flip those levers, you know, how do you have somebody in that kind of state of mind? It, it, automation is going to be key, right? I mean, let's face it, it's the, the cloud has expanded and grown over the last how many years to be a wonderful, wonderful, I don't know if you want to call it tool. What would you call it? You, you, <laughs> the, the key there, you know, you said, uh, you know, 250 plus different types of controls. But the aspect that you need to realize is when you deployed, it probably only had 150. True. Those other 100 came in after you deployed, after you did your configuration. Are you aware of the other 100 capabilities that are now existing? And if you're not keeping up with that, there's controls, there's protections, there's things that would benefit you that you're unaware of. So you've got to continue to be engaged and learn these things. Evolving. And, you know, the, the con of that is not just that they're there, but the new capabilities that are there where I, you know, a dashboard I always used to go to, uh, you know, security dashboard, 
some of the functions may have migrated from that dashboard to another now. Mm. So some of my reporting may be done. Some of my, you know, the cloud changes are going to be made for us. We're not responsible to be making a lot of the changes uh, to the you know, backend infrastructure and some of those capabilities. There could be things that were added, removed, or just moved that messes with some of the automation. Because automation is the only way for us going forward to scale. Mm-hmm. But we've also got to be mindful of things that do change. Absolutely. So, so we talked about cloud. Could you talk a little bit about what were some of the other use cases? You know, you talked about, you know, really building out your organization and the security program at Coats. But when you started thinking about, you kind of touched on your quick wins, what were some of the use cases that you actually saw as number one, quick win use cases? And then what were some of the other use cases that you're like, oh, that's going to take us a while to get to? Uh, well, the first one I went with is, uh, you know, first, I needed to understand visibility and who's making the connection, where are you going, what are you touching, uh, from where are you coming from? So what location are you coming from? Global uh, organization needed to understand, are you coming from Pakistan? Are you coming from Spain? Should you be coming from Pakistan? Should you be coming from Spain? Uh, what system are you coming from? Is it a company-owned, corporate-owned device? Or is it a personal device as well? I needed to add visibility. I needed to understand identity and then that context to the identity as well. Uh, And another pain point is uh, as securing the organization, we were also way too liberal, I'll say, in granting access to suppliers or third-party companies as well, or business partners. And one of the things we needed to do as we started locking things down was stop allowing unmanaged, unknown devices from connecting to our network too. So that was one of the other use cases is stop allowing these, these things that we don't manage, we don't control, we know they don't have our security controls on them, You know, removing those. Um, but, and I guess to build, uh, on the first one with the identity was also, how do we truly know that this is who we say it is? And that came with the two FA, you know, second factor or multi-factor as well of not just username and password because the social engineering and everything there, you could lose credentials as well. So those are some of the, the quick and easy wins that we went after with those easy use cases of, Removing VPN, doing identity, giving me visibility, proxy, sending traffic all through. So I have central locations of this is all the traffic going there. So I'm not having to chase 100 different systems. And centralized logging will be probably the last one that was there. So once again, I'm bringing it to a centralized location. I can normalize my my time zones. Because again, I'm going across many different time zones and I need to understand what's actually happening. But, and then stop accessing, uh, you know, applications or or systems will be my last use case here. Stop accessing things directly from the internet. And what I mean by that is inside factory A, I can have an application that people remotely are going to be accessing. Don't allow it directly from the internet. Again, am I going to proxy this? Am I going to make this available? Am I going to require somebody to get onto a jump server and then you know pivot over, whether it's a virtual desktop instance or something like that? Those are some of those 
easy use cases that we said, these are the things that are really hurting us and that we can address without it taking the next two years to implement. Some may be listening, shaking their head with their hand on their head saying, okay, those are not easy use cases, (laughs) (laughs) right? Um, But they are, they are, but in, in, you know, sometimes people get overwhelmed by the fact of change is just difficult in itself. But some of the use cases you mentioned, right? Having that visibility into what's occurring. How do you really know what someone is using your bandwidth for unless you have the right band, uh, you have the right visibility? In addition, the other thing I thought was really interesting, Ben, when I did this in my past is having a console that shows me all internet destined traffic, whether it's a user, a device, any of that, right? Because let's face it, some of your manufacturing PCs, I have to think based on um, what type of thread, which I love. I'm going to, I'm going to think about that, you know, going forward when I, when I make my tea or anything or, or put a jacket on, right? Um, you know, these manufacturing facilities, I have to think some of them needed to have access for systems to an internet destination. And, and how do you clearly, number one, protect that traffic um, without touching a validated environment, which many struggle with, but then also really to understand your true traffic, internet destined for devices, for user devices and non-user devices, a lot of people have to piecemeal that all together right? I'm going to take it out of this console, this information, the user information, I'm taking out of this console. And I really start to see where the operational efficiency is coming in when you're starting to talk about, right, these various use cases. So what what was, if you could pick one, what was the hardest use case that you guys encountered the most challenges with? I, I will say our biggest challenge was not going to be technical. Our biggest challenge that we had was going to be mindsets. I'm not even going to go with executives. I'm not going to go with our you know, leadership. I'm going to say that the biggest thing, biggest challenge we started with is going to be our network team's mindset. And what I mean is the network team has been doing routing point A to point B based on IP address, based on port number, based on all of that for so stinking long that when we said we're going to look at changing to this, we're going to look at a migration, we're going to look at a zero trust network architecture. And they did not like that. Uh, You know, we talked with them, you know, one of the other use cases was removing that traditional VPN client. And that was something that they owned. And I'm like, we're going to make your lives easier by getting rid of this. And you're going to have more time to focus on other things over here because not only are we taking it away, but we're now going to maintain this, this for you. And we got active resistance to that, not just passive. And then they're wanting to bypass, you know, we talk about visibility and how do you really see what's going on? And, you know, when we set up, they wanted to start bypassing some of our, our traffic and routing around our, our visibility. And if it's, you know, streaming videos and stuff or CCTV, I, I get, you know, why there will be some of these things. So, but there needs to be an approval process. I'm here to support the business, but I still need to understand from a risk perspective, what we're doing, why we're doing it and make sure we, we had that visibility there. Uh, so when it really came down to, 
you know, our biggest use case, our biggest challenge, I really think it came down to people thinking we were trying to eliminate their role, their function, Mm -hmm. their jobs, their livelihoods, and how they support their families. So our biggest uh, hurdle initially was mindsets. You know, it's funny because there isn't a week that goes by that I sit back and I think to myself, wow, only one exec this week asked me, what about the people? aspect, right? And it's funny, the first um, article I wrote when I came to Zscaler, one of the thought leadership pieces I had was, you know, was literally about changing technology is not difficult. You figure it out. You have smart people. It's changing the actual mindset. This is a cultural change. This, This is truly a philosophical change and not everyone embraces it. And what I found is you have to Go ahead and weed out who are those, you know, in my former organization, we had lifers, right? The lifers were the ones that knew where a bunch of the sins of the past were, right? They kind of helped us maneuver around those things and say, hey, don't forget about, because let's face it, right? In some of these multinational organizations that have been around forever and, and for ours, we grew through acquisitions, not everything was documented to a point where you would really know the impact. And I do believe that for, you know, those organizations, you identify the person that's going to help you be successful and lend that helping knowledge to the team that's going to actually make you implement it and use those with that inherent knowledge of the past to help those that are going to be on that road to moving your organization along to successfully implementing the new, you know, a newer way to do it and, and that mindset change. Those are the people that'll help you. And they need to know that they're still important to your organization, right? And that they're not being weeded out. Because let's face it, for most of the the you know organizations, this is going to be a multi-year, right? It's not just going to happen overnight. Okay, but I have to, in all fairness, coming from a networking background, right? I have to defend those network teams out there from the cyber guys. That it has to be, it does have to be a, in, in kind of what you you also have referenced, you have to do this together. This isn't about cyber or networking. But I think, you know, Ben, quite frankly, I think it's kind of hard for some network organizations. Some, those were the people, those were the technical staff that actually secured the company, right? Okay. They knew the routing. They knew that the cyber guys, as the cyber team started started growing and started really um, maturing. I remember times in which the cyber guys really like block these ports or block these IP addresses. And my guys would come to me like, Pam, they don't understand what they're going to break. They don't understand the routing of how this is going to work. And this is going to impact the business. And And we talked more and more about the fact that it has to be really a partnership between the two. And even if the responsibilities say of you know, a, a modern technology, zero trust architecture moves to cyber. It's those network guys that know how is it going to really work? Is it going to be successful? Oh, absolutely. And I, I, you've thrown out a couple of things. I'm trying to jot down a few notes here, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to talk about uh, as well. Uh, I have great respect, you know, first uh, uh, for those lifers, as you say, because the level of institutional knowledge that they have, that cannot be understated. Uh, you talk about or you've seen for so long outsourcing of, of IT. 
And I'm like, the amount of information, the amount of knowledge that just left is just breathtaking. Uh, and yes, technical debt or sins of the past, uh, you know, they remember why do we have this workaround in place? We have this in place because we had this one system. Well, we don't have that system anymore. Why is this workaround still here? And they're able to help us get rid of that because we now know what it was there. Because as you just said, a lot of those network people know what is going to break if we do this. And I love, and you know, I, I did call out networking. I generally say, you know, the mindset needs to change for my security operations people as much as the network operational people. I think there's going to be a natural merging of those two teams. Uh, the SOC and the NOC really is, uh, as we go forward, is going to have a natural merging because a lot of the, you know, is a firewall. Is it a security or is it a network uh, appliance, especially with the physical ones? Uh, and I'm like, well, the the routing of it, well, the network is going to own because my security people didn't know that. Uh, you know, the it shocked me, the lack of, routing insider and you know people just didn't understand subnetting despite being in security for nearly a decade so yes there had to be some you know mindset shifting of the security operations as well as as the network so great call out completely agree with you <laughs> and I'm not throwing a network people under the bus <laughs> without throwing myself under there as well because I had to shift. And that's the thing is when I joined and dating myself, say I've been in this industry for 30 years, security sincerely was antivirus on the desktop with mm -hmm. a port-based router, access control list, IP tables. That was security. That was right. it. Uh, and look at what we have today. And it's just come so far. If I had that same mentality, I would have washed out a long, long time ago. All of us need to be continual learners as well. Now, completely agree. If we if we stop learning, well, I think it's just time to go sit in the corner, right? <laughs> so you you chose Zscaler as a customer, right? Zscaler was a vendor of yours. And then you actually decided to move over and continue your career with Zscaler. Can you talk a little bit about why, right? Oh, oh my goodness. So absolutely. Um, so chose Zscaler first as a, you know, uh, from a customer perspective. So we chose them as a, you know, you know, can sit there and say chose as a vendor, but I like to say we chose them as a partner. And that is something that as a CISO, I was really adamant about uh, is I'm not buying a product. I'm partnering with an organization and I need that organization to understand where we're at today so we can grow together as well. And the relationship wasn't always perfect, but whenever we reached out, we got engagement. We got a response. Uh, I, you know, as a customer, I was invited to customer advisory boards with the senior echelon uh, of Zscaler and the level of engagement and the level of support there, again, from the executive management at the cabs was different simply different. Executives were present, they were available, they listened, and I would get notes from them that they were following up on. So they heard me, listened to me, and took it back. 
Now, not to say within a month, everything was solved. Uh, you know, we gave one issue and it you know came down to a year later until it finally made it into production. But again, they listened and that, and you know, the CEO of the company cared. And because he cared, because he set that example, the rest of the executive team followed that example. That humble servant leadership was modeled. That was displayed. That is, and the product worked. So, you know, uh, it, it did have to deliver on actually doing what we brought it in for. But that is why we, we saw it as a partnership. And, you know, I was happy to be that, that reference customer. I got called upon to say, you know, uh, you know, how are you all using Zscaler? What's it doing for you? How are, how's it changed what you're doing? And got to know several team members. And, uh, you know, after being a customer for four or five years, I did have the opportunity, as you, you know, said, to now choose it as my career choice because of that engagement. I love the product but I love the the leadership. I love the example that that Jay, the CEO, I've seen modeled over years. I said, that is a place I would love to work with and doing great work to secure our customer environments and allow me in the role, not just as an enterprise CISO, but as an advisory one to talk to our existing customers this is what others are doing. This is what others have found successful. To be able to talk to prospects, this is what I did. Mm-hmm. This worked for me. Yes, th- there are other capabilities, but to be able to articulate that and help more organizations, that's why I chose Zscaler as my next career. We are really glad you did. And it is there is a there is a point when you're in a conversation with a peer that you see the light bulb go off after they've heard your journey or, hey, these are some of the lessons learned or eh, we didn't do this right. I think there's that point of honesty, which it does start at the top down. It starts at the top saying, oh, we had a little problem and this is how we fixed it. Or, you know, this is how you approach that. Some have tried this way, but we've also seen great results with this way. I think there's something to be said with that true... I've lived the journey. I'm not just here to sell you something. You know, just to kind of bring this all home, is there anything that you'd like to, any words of advice or something maybe you wish you knew at the beginning that you didn't think about when you started down this journey? (laughs) The journey, uh, you know, journey of zero trust is a journey. It's going to take time. Transformation is a long road. Just understand you will have trials, tribulations, and probably some detours. Be persistent. Take the quick wins or those easy wins, but understand that you, you will not always have the smooth road. Persevere anyways. And build champions. And you build a champion by engaging partnering, talking, and communicating with people, help them understand your why. 
and not just carry that, you know, the proverbial stick and just hit people. This is where we're going because I said so. Explain the reason why. And last bit is what I will always say is we, security is the business. It's not, you know, the security and the business. We are the business. Learn the business. Talk in business terms. I'm not a security executive. I'm a business executive. So I have to learn the business. It's my responsibility to understand. You know, you said it very well, Pam, earlier of going and saying, network team, please make this change. If we make this change, it's going to break things. The policies that I put in place can't break things. The technical and procedural controls can't break things or add undue burden. If I want to roll out multi-factor and it takes authentication from four seconds to four minutes, I have failed. Think about the implications of the things you are putting in place. Those are going to be my, what, three bits of advice. (laughs) That's great. And with that, I want to thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Hopefully everybody out there, you have found some benefits out of hearing Ben's actual journey with Coates. And I know I have. I appreciate it, Ben. And thank you all for tuning in and stay tuned for another episode to come. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Lisa Lorenzen and Pam Kubiatowski on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.cscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2022.